James, um, we started on Wednesday night, and we'll certainly get a, a run-up from that and before we get started. Today it's going to be hopefully verses 5 to the end of the chapter. Summary, um, James was not a believer until after Jesus was raised from the dead. You read that in John 7 and 1 Corinthians 15, testimony of when um, Jesus, after the resurrection, made it a point and he saw James. Uh, he also later became known as one of the pillars at Jerusalem in Galatians chapter 2. Paul testifies of what James was. And again, this is uh, James, the brother of Jesus. Before that, he didn't believe in him. Uh, before the resurrection, but uh, also in Galatians, he directed his ministry to the Jews. And while Paul went to the Gentiles, we talked about that on Wednesday night, he did not draw any attention to the fact, you'll notice today uh, in James, to the fact that he was the Lord's brother. And, uh, you know, you'd think that, hey, man, I'm, I'm the Lord's brother. You guys better listen to me. Well, he didn't do that at all. In fact, we'll see what he called himself as we just read through the first few verses running up to it. And now he knew Jesus to be the Son of God, Almighty of God. He considered himself a bondservant, and he submitted himself to the Lord and uh, his Lord and the Messiah of Israel, who is with the Father from all eternity. And this is who James now sees. He's not seeing his brother, his older brother anymore, who he didn't believe in. He saw him after he rose from the dead. So overview by chapter, if we were to just take a, since we're starting this book, kind of an overview helps for a couple reasons. One thing I hope more than anything else is that you get a flow of thought through James because James, sometimes people piece it up and think it's kind of like Proverbs. Uh, you see a little bit that doesn't necessarily fit with the next passage, but truth is there is a flow of thought. Overall, chapter 1 addresses a few topics that then get expounded on later on in James. And so it's a, um, to keep that in mind and all and to keep in mind the context of all and uh, the the. The chapter by chapter really can be broken down by the characteristics of a true believer that James is trying to work in and work out in these guys. Chapter 1, a true believer is going to endure trials and they're going to overcome temptations. They're not going to show partiality in relationships in chapter 2. They're not going to overlook the needs of others in chapter 2. In chapter 3, they realize the danger of the tongue. A true believer realizes the danger of our tongue, and seeks God's wisdom. And then that, that wisdom is proven out by how we treat other people. That's a true believer. true believer in chapter 4 is not proud, is humble, is transparent, is willing to submit to God. And basically, he knows his place is the, the way to kind of think about that. In chapter 5, he's patient with people, and he trusts God in everything. This book is a letter uh, from James, is really a, a, a serious call to a real faith that's going to bear out in our lives. And we know that and all, and at the same time, some don't. Some are here, and some were certainly around when James was writing this letter, that he had to address a lot of things. And so one of the things we always want to look for whenever we study through a book is what's the, what's the uh, purpose for writing. You know, we want to know who James is, we want to know who his recipients were, uh, the, and that adds context, but ultimately we want to see why did he even write this book. And so we're going to see that as we go through it all and try and keep it in mind from one end to the other so that it brings that context to this. So just to get a running start up to verse 5, in, in chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, 
We'll just read real quick. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how he calls himself a bondservant and how he calls the Lord his, uh, you know, God and his Lord, Jesus Christ. He's writing to the recipients are the 12 tribes scattered abroad. These would be the Jews. Um, Again, you you can check back to Galatians as we did Wednesday and you can see how Paul came and he talked to him and says, you know, the Lord's doing something through me to the Gentiles, James, you know, you're to the Jews and all, and, and that's what he already was and what he was writing to. And so keep that in mind as we're looking at this. Um, the word greeting, uh, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings, and real quick, we talk about that word greetings, is this Greek word charo, chero, means to be joyous exceedingly, be well, and hail, gladness. In other words, it's greetings, but it's, it's that comes together with that exceeding joy. You know, he's not just saying, all right, guys, I got something for you. He's saying, greetings, you know, great joy. How are you doing? And then verse 2 through 4, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all, whoop, that's verse 5, getting ahead of myself. So that word joy in verse 2 is chara, which is joy, gladness, and cheerfulness. And that little side note on that is it's kind of a calm delight for an occasion. And he's talking about trials. So notice when you fall or encounter trials, it's not necessarily a trial that you bring upon yourself. It could be because we do things that later we reap. But at the same time, what he's talking about, they come from these various places, these diverse, uh, various trials. It says that word is multicolored. That word is uh, from all angles, all realms of our lives, whether within, without, um, things that are beyond our control from any direction, physical or in our thoughts, relationships, or whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And, And it says that testing of your faith, that testing, the word is proving trying, testing, uh, working it out to see what's in it. It's not your physical strength. I mean, when we're in trials, a lot of times it has to do with our physical, you know, we're, we're suffering. But the trial is not to see how good you are at suffering. The trial isn't to try your strength to see if you can build up muscle to get through the trial. It's not, it doesn't have to do with your capabilities to, to fix yourself or to figure out the problem. Maybe your trial is or some type of... Uh, angst that's brought on by your situations and the first thing we want to do is try and figure out how to work this out and fix it the trial is the trial of your faith and the faith is not just a a uh, a noun this so-and-so has got the faith or something like that so and faith is is something that is a verb faith is an action faith is the you doing what you do as a christian and so he's talking about let that patience have its perfect work that you that means the you that has the faith, that has the action, the you that is doing the things that God has called us to do. And hopefully that kind of makes a little sense and adds a little light to that. It's not your physical strength or your capabilities that's being tried. It's your faith. And now, uh, so it's not uh, anything more than for us to remember what our faith is in and why we do what we do. And it's our future, our joy, for all eternity, because eye has not seen nor ear has heard um, the things that the Lord has prepared for us. You know, we don't put our faith in ourselves uh, because we're going to fall short. 
When we suffer, we seek help. When we're under pressure from circumstances, we try to find solutions. Beyond all this, we have hope in the kingdom to come. And we do not necessarily expect trials uh, to end as long as we're on this earth, really. But we don't put our hope in our things of this world, do we? You know, uh, you know patience is talked about. That, that endurance, that abiding until a thing is done, and there's a duration to it. And that might be physical suffering, but we're not talking about overcoming the suffering. We're talking about keeping our faith and letting our faith grow. And that word perfect there is sometimes misunderstood, and I think we mentioned this before in times past. The word perfect there is the word teleos. And you want to kind of remember that, because whenever you look up perfect, the first thing we think of is, well, I am not perfect, and I can find all kinds of flaws right away in myself. And I'm not going to look at you because mine are worse. I promise you that. I won't be judging you because I know my flaws are worse. And I think that the, you know, Paul would say, he said, uh, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Well, you know, he wasn't Hitler, but Paul knew for himself that he was the chiefest of sinners. He's not looking at anybody else to see whether they were sinners or not. And I can say here that I'm the chiefest of sinners. I'm not going to look at anybody else to say, well, they're a little worse. I mean, how foolish is that? You know, we know ourselves, right? Um, each trial has a perfect result. That teleos, it means mature, complete. The word complete there means no missing parts. And so our, our, the trial is going to be something that is going to do its thing. It's going to be a perfect trial. It's going to uh, have no missing parts in it because the Lord's working something into us. And uh, each trial has a perfect result. Each time we move in the direction of perfection. It's not that we are perfect, but we're moving in that direction and that trial that we're going through. Am I there yet? Are you there yet? No. Well, then, should we expect maybe we're going to be going through some trials? And I think now we can remember that the joy of the knowledge that each trial, and this is what James is talking about in the first four verses, there's a joy that we can have in our trials of the things to come, the heaven, the, the kingdom of heaven that we're looking forward to and that place where we're going to be with him. Now, there were some, this is you know really wisdom that James is laying down here, right? Because people look to themselves, but we're looking to the Lord. There's, there's a lot of wisdom in what James is, is uh, laying out in these first four verses, but there are those that really didn't like that wisdom. And so we start to read in verse 5, and we'll just go 5 through 8 and come back. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways." Now, just to make a little uh, definition there, some are lacking wisdom about trials and suffering. That's what he's talking about uh, if you follow the flow of thought. And that word wisdom is the word Sophia. And I'm sure all those folks that named their kids Sophia had high hopes for that. Uh, Wisdom of men, it's a a broad and full of intelligence used of the knowledge of very diverse manners, a simple way of men, wisdom which belongs to men, a varied knowledge of things human and divine uh, that men can understand, but uh, not necessarily from the Lord, acquired by an acuteness and experience, 
things that just happen from living life and you're paying attention. Uh, active interpreting dreams and always giving the sagest advice. You know, you walk through the cemetery and you wonder if that's one of the headstones you see along there. This guy, he interpreted dreams and always gave the sagest advice. I know I thought that was kind of funny, but the intelligence of discovering the meaning of a some mystery or vision is some wisdom of men. Skill in the management of affairs. You know guys that are wise about stuff and gals. Devout and proper prudence in conversation with men and not disciples of Christ. Skill and discretion. Knowledge and practice of the requisites for godly and upright living, as you know from men. But God, used of God, this word is supreme intelligence, such as belongs to God and to Christ. The wisdom of God by forming and executing councils in the formations of governments and how things just work among people of the world and the scriptures. This is the wisdom of God. We're going to do a lot more studying about wisdom in chapter 3. And uh, clearly James right now, though, talking about this wisdom, he's saying, ask of God. We need God's wisdom in trials. And faith needs to come from God. And the thing of it is, we don't want to start running to our own wisdom when it comes to the suffering we're in. And only about the, the faith that's growing Certainly, we're going to want to go see a doctor, you know, and certainly we're going to want to work out issues if it has to do with uh, stressful or or, uh, situations or circumstances that we're dealing with people that might be the trial that we're in. It might not be physical at all. It might just have to do with stress and all and uh, things. And certainly we want to figure that out. But when it comes to how it's going to help our faith, well, that wisdom's got to come from God, right? And so we need that. And what kind of heavenly father is going to withhold wisdom? especially from somebody who is suffering, somebody who's in this. And so ask them. But then there's a condition and that James get into, and I tell you, this is actually, I've got to wonder why James goes there, because it seems simple enough to me, just ask. But he's starting to get into some guys that he's dealing with and he's writing to here, and I don't know why he would go there, but clearly there are no, those that needed to hear this. And he says to ask in faith, first of all, but no doubting. And that word doubting we'll get into a little bit, but this is a hard saying because I doubt myself all the time. Everything this morning that I say is of the Lord, or that is of the Lord, I hope you remember, but everything that's of me, I hope you forget before you get home. I'd much rather that his word sticks in your heart and that nothing would be of me. I I don't trust myself. I don't trust, uh, especially in a trial. When I'm going through a trial, I I can't trust myself in my own wisdom. I doubt myself. How am I going to respond If I'm looking to myself, I'm making a mistake. So what is this word doubting that James is talking about then? It's kind of a a real deal breaker here for this, and I hope that you kind of get the idea. We need to remember who our faith is in. It's not myself. It's not ourselves. It's not in our family. It's not in our friends or in Calvary Chapel or in, in anything going on here. But that word doubt here is diacrino, and dia means to cut through right in the middle through, and diabolical means to split and divide. You know, the Satan is uh, diablos and the whole works. You know, that's where we get dio, dia. And crino is the word to judge. So this kind of doubt that he's talking about, that these guys he's talking about that are going to end up being, you know, don't, don't ask for anything, are the kind of guys and, or gals that are saying, I'm not liking this wisdom I'm getting from God about my trial and by my faith. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I've got to have a, uh, a little bit to say about this. 
And so the word is to separate, to show a preference by discrimination, to, to try it yourselves, to decide, to determine, to give a judgment, decide, dispute, to separate oneself in a hostile spirit to, this is this word doubt, to oppose, strive with, dispute, and contend with. That's what James is talking to here. He's talking to some guys that don't want to hear this wisdom. They don't want to hear what God's got to say about trials and how it's helping your faith. They just want to hear how to get out of this trial and how to get out of the suffering, possibly. I don't know. But also, it has that connotation and is used sometimes when people do doubt themselves. But clearly, James is talking about these that are contending with the Lord. Why would God, or why would you expect to get from God? He's still gracious. But why would anybody expect to get uh, anything from the Lord if that's what he's doing, is doubting? And that's what James says in verse 8. How is this not being double-minded? You ask God for wisdom, and you don't like what you hear, and you want to chew on it a little bit and see if you'll even like it. That's the kind of thing this doubt means. That was a relief to me, because I doubt myself. And um, I know you guys are all fine, but I doubt myself. It's uh, a bit more going on here than a type of person described by James who doesn't like what they're hearing. And, you know, James is using the word of God here now to divide and separate out the sheep from the goats. He's separating, if, if you want to consider this kind of being part of the context, when he wrote to these 12 tribes, there's a bunch of people he's talking about as you read through the whole book, or at least a few people among them, that he does, doesn't even understand if they know if their faith is a, 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 a useful faith. And he'll say that as we go through James. Um, he's, it's a reality check for anyone who's professing to be a Christian. Um, but they, they, it's not a real faith. It may not even be a true conversion to Christ. And, but James always includes, a, and the Lord always includes, a call to repentance. It's not a cut it and leave it and some, leave somebody dangling then just without any call to repentance. But God does, and he, he, uh, he loves you too much to leave you faithless and useless and tossed about and double-minded like James is talking about. There's always an open door for repentance, whether anybody in here or whether they, within the hearing of the voice or whoever reads James, I would hope, and whoever you would share with that you might find in this situation that, they, that you'd always know that there's an open, open door for repentance at any time to call on the Lord from your heart. Many times we go through this and we've got to get back to square one. You know, when you think you've been a, a saved or you think you've been a believer, you've been in a religion uh, that is empty and doesn't have any, any outcoming of your faith. It's just you say you believe, and James, we're going to talk about that but uh, as we move through. But um, you can always go and start at square one. Square one is always maybe John 3, God so loved the world, and the rest of John 3 that elaborates on that. First Corinthians 15, you know, Paul lays down that which was given to him that he gave to the Corinthians, Christ and him crucified. And um, it is the gospel. You can give yourself, as you continue to seek him after that, to prayer, and always give yourself to God's wisdom. So do we stop asking because of this? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, man, if I'm going to be called a guy who is you know, not going to receive anything from the Lord and double-minded, I'm just not going to ask for anything and play it safe. Well, well no. Some hereafter hearing this might say that, but asking our Lord and Savior for the things we need is so much of our relationship with him. We have a, a two-way street going on here. 
And we do want to get into the word. In fact, it's a one-way street if you, all you ever do is pray. It's a two-way street if you get into his word to see what he has to say to you. And we do want a one-on-one relationship with the Lord. We don't want to have just our religion. We show up on Sundays and we do our thing and maybe throw a buck in the, in the box and, and take off and feel good. Many of us came out of that and we knew it was dead. And now we are here and we know the Lord. And with that faith, uh, we, we pursue that relationship with him, a one-on-one that's with us every day. There's, there's so many reasons that we try or that we think we can't pray because we got ourselves in a situation. But the truth of it is, he can hear from us and wants to hear from us at any time, after any event, no matter what. There's nothing you can say or do that's going to send him flying. We're the ones that kind of go the other direction. He knows us through and through. I hope that, that stays in your hearts and minds. Matthew 7, if we ask, if you want to flip there, just to know that we can continue. And verses 7 through 11, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man among you, uh, who if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father who is in heaven will give you good things, and give good things to those who ask him. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, I wasn't going to go that far, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Actually, we'll get sort of into that later in the law of liberty, but uh, the royal law later in James. John 14, we'll support it a little more. Verses... Uh, 12 through 14. And this will come into play much more when we get into James chapter 4. But I sure don't want us to feel like we can't ask of the Lord. It says uh, 14, or 12 through 14 is, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And uh, James, again, is going to bring that around in chapter 4. 1 John 3, just to the other side of James, if you've got your finger still in James. And we're just going to look at 22, and then we'll skip a page to verse or chapter 5. And look at a couple there too. It does have a little bit to do with uh, what we're asking for. First John 3.22 And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And as we look at that, we want to realize that there's not necessarily a condition, but a, a way that we find ourselves or it is a condition we find ourselves, not necessarily a, a uh, as you'd think, a prerequisite, but is what's God already doing in our lives? What are, what are the things he's doing in us that nobody else can do, that only he can do? And because of this, we're, we're seeing that. We're keeping his commandments. And so we can ask and receive from him. And then just the next page over, uh, five, chapter 5, verse six, uh, uh, 14 through 16. 
Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And, what, and, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees a brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him for those who commit sin, not leading to uh, needing, and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. And so there's a confidence. I want to uh, elaborate on that word a little bit. If you were to look that up, I don't know the Greek word necessarily, but it has to do with an open, free, and fearless. A confidence that's open, free, and fearless. And it actually means a cheerful courage. When you think about courage, you're thinking about Rambo going with the machine guns or whatever and, and all of that. That's our image of courage. But the truth of it is, confidence in the Lord and what he can do makes us cheerful. And we can have that cheerful confidence. And it just caught me, and I thought that was pretty... Uh, uh, helpful with understanding what he's talking about when you're seeking the Lord and having confidence. Going back to James, again, just ask. We can always just ask what father doesn't give his kids that what he needs. Why not our Heavenly Father giving us everything to see, to keep us, till we can get there with him and see us make it there. The flow of thought now. So James 9 through 11 let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he has passed away, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, it flowers, uh, its flower falls. So is the beautiful appearance and its beautiful appearances, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Um, the flow of thought goes from doubters, waivers, double-minded disputers, to those usually found in trials and difficulty, circumstances, who often suffer for lack of help. The lowly brother who receives God's wisdom and is desiring to grow in faith. And what does he accept from the Lord, this lowly guy? Well, he glories in his exaltation. His faith is growing in the direction of perfection, his He's got this real faith unto salvation and that, that final goal. And so the lowly brothers and circumstances, you wonder the guys that don't want to hear this, the guys that are saying, well, I don't know if I, I like this business about trials, it's probably because they're not in the middle of one necessarily. And they're thinking, I don't want to go through any trials. So maybe this isn't the wisdom from the Lord. But yeah, your faith will grow. And, and he loves you. He's going to allow that to happen. Lowly, the word there is tepinis, tepunos, I guess. Um, not rising far from the ground as a condition, lowly, of low degree, brought low with grief, depressed, lowly in spirit, and humble. And now look at the contrast. Uh, in, in, uh, actually, I would say before we look at the contrast, uh, why is the lowly exalting in their difficult circumstances? And I was just going to take a peek over to chapter 2, verse 5. It says, uh, listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom with him? He promised to those who love him. And uh, that is the lowly guy, how I can say with confidence that they are looking for. Uh, they can exalt in their difficult circumstances. They are looking for the Lord's coming. 
But now the contrast. The rich, they glory, or should, James is saying, glory in your humiliation or exalt in your humiliation. He's telling these guys, you're sitting good. Well, why? Well, because it's going to pass away. Wealth is going to pass away. It's going to burn up, wither, fall, and perish is what he says. And not only the rich, not only the wealth, uh, the the wealth itself and, and all the riches, but the, the rich man himself. What does he say? You know, right in the middle of his pursuits. Wings up, cruising speed, and the engine starts to sputter. You know, and pretty soon they fade, fall, right in the middle of his pursuits. Um, so James is drawing a contrast, and we're going to get a lot more into the, again in chapter 2 with the, the poor, and James is dealing with favoritism. And the flow of thought kind of goes there and also getting into uh, chapter 5 when he gets a little further into the rich and uh, dealing with that sort of thing and the wealth. Um, Verse 12 is kind of a a hinge point a little bit between this first part of chapter 1 and the second part of chapter 1. He says, Blessed is the man who endures what we've been talking about, temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Certainly speaking of what we have been studying, but also a uh, uh, kind of moving into the next. And the word temptation there is the exact same word for trials in verse 2. It means uh, the trial of a man's fidelity, the integrity, the virtue, the constancy is being tried circumstances around us that entice us to sin and arouse our desires, internal temptation to sin, our own sinful nature. This is the word for that temptation, also the word for the trials up above. And if a believer that gets tried and tested because we're forsaking the things of this world, uh, it's the things, you know, we are. We're going to be the the ones that are going to get tried and tested. We're forsaking the things of this world. Non-believers, they don't bother to resist temptation. Unless it's for you know some self-preservation, um, James again reminding them of the promise of eternal life in this verse. Those that love him, and so we we endure these trials for our love for him. And so the at this point, summing up all the first part of this chapter, be wise in your trials, be wise in your lowly circumstances. You know we have a bright and glorious future. Keep your eyes on that. And that's kind of a leading into the next few verses. I was going to read 13 through 16. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. The word tempted there is a little different. Now it has to do with the person or thing that is bringing on that temptation. Uh, it's a little different than the one previous verse. To see whether a thing can be done. To attempt to cause someone to sin. Make an endeavor to try or test one's faith or their virtue or their character by enticement to sin. Uh, to solicit to sin, to tempt. It's uh, also used of when the devil tempted the Lord and and all. And so this is a little different word. This now has to do with somebody who's trying to stumble somebody. Uh, We've talked about this in the past. Uh, 
there are those that are wicked and they just love doing what they want to do for themselves, for their own wickedness. But there's a next level of wickedness, if you will. It's just being pernicious where you want to take as many people with you as you possibly can. And that's a wickedness that uh, is similar to here where you're, they're tempting, they're being, uh, they're those that are seeking to tempt. Well, what's he saying? Well, that's the, the Lord's not doing that. The Lord's not going to try and tempt you to sin. You know, he warns them not to be deceived by this. And you've got to wonder, how, how are they being deceived? Uh, we sometimes say that we're unable to resist temptations. And maybe sometimes we like to say that we're an addict, maybe, without the ability to resist sin. Is that what we're saying? Think it through. If, if that were true, then God really can't hold us accountable, right? Because, you know, we, we can't help ourselves. It's just too much for me. Well, then how can he hold us accountable? Is that, isn't that kind of saying God's causing us to sin? God's tempting us? We're actually saying he won't help us or has not washed us of our sins. And somehow God's allowing us to fall. And again, which really means we're saying by that he's causing us to sin. And, you know, we know that's not true. James says, you know, let no one say when he's being tempted that God's doing this. But what's the truth about the matter? The truth about the matter is we're sinners. That's got to be square one for anyone who's going to come to the Lord. And sometimes, and I, again, I can't help but uh, refer you to um, Ray Comfort, who establishes a person's sin and then gives them the gospel. Because that's what's necessary. Every one of us knew that we needed the Lord because we were sinners. And uh, if you're still in a situation where you think you're still here because you're doing really good with the Lord and he's the one that is is, um, you know, indebted to you for how good you're behaving. Um, well, there's trials coming. Uh, Paul dealt with this argument in Romans 3, verse uh, 5 and 8, if you want to flip that direction. Uh, Romans chapter 3. You know, he's talking about the Jews, Paul was in chapter 2, and God's righteous judgment and those that were circumcised and those that were uh, uh, thinking of themselves as having it together a little more. Uh, they were, of course, the Jews and had uh, circumcision and all. But he says in verse 29, the last part, you know, he's a Jew who's one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the letter of the law per se, whose praise is not from men but from God. But in verse 3, or I'm sorry, in, in verse 5, he goes on to say, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God. And let me back up. Let's, let's keep going from verse 1. So one advantage is the Jew or, or the prophet of circumcision. Well, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some of them did not believe? Well, their unbelief made the faithfulness of God without effect. Well, certainly not. He's still going to be faithful to his calling, right? Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. But as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged, speaking of the Lord. You know, he's the one that set this down. But he says now, if our unrighteousness, speaking to the Roman Gentiles, you know, if we're sinners, we know we are. We don't have what the Jews have as far as the circumcision and all that. And so what, what's our part? How do we find ourselves now? We realize it's grace. We realize we've gotten saved. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? 
and I see he's speaking as a man, making this, this carnal or soulish kind of a, uh, argument here. Well, certainly not. Then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I uh, also still judged as a sinner? Same things that we're talking about with James. And why not say, let us do evil, that good may come? That we, and as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, well, their condemnation is just. Okay, there's guys going around saying, Paul, you know, you're preaching grace. You're preaching mercy, you know, and, and we're not perfect, and we, we still may stumble, we still may fall. Well, then let's party, because the more we sin, the more worse we do, the bigger God's grace. We want to see God's grace. Well, what does he say? He says, may it never be, or God forbid. forbid. By the way, if you want to jot that phrase down and just go to one of your concordances or one of your, uh, your Bible softwares, and look up everywhere in the New Testament where it says, may it never be, or God forbid. And that's a great study because some misconceptions about a lot of things, including the Jewish nation today, are addressed in all of that. And I'm speaking of, you know, has God therefore forsaken, cast off his people? Well, may it never be. Anyway, Romans 3, you know, if God is in the forgiving business, you know, are we going to just say, well, let's just do all we can so God can be forgiving? Well, certainly not, he says. And just flip the page to Romans 6, 1 and 2, he says the same thing. You know, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And again, having to do with our baptism, we've been washed. Uh, not by the baptism, but by the, the, what baptism signifies. Uh, out with the old, in with the new. We're a new man, we're new creatures. We have a couple more to look at. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. So carrying on, do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Here again, people are deceiving themselves into this. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Don't forget that list. Such were some of you. Uh, But we were washed. We were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And just the next couple pages over, um, chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under a cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank that spiritual, from that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it was written, the people sat down and to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and as in the day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them tempted and were destroyed by, by serpents. Nor complain. There, that was in that list, wasn't it? Complaining? Yeah. Um, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. 
And now all of these things happen to them as examples, as they're written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come, if not them, Corinthians, certainly us. And now, uh, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest lest he fall, because no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And again, he brought us out to himself for good things. Looking at verse 17 and 18 in James, these guys are deceiving themselves. They really are. And he's saying, don't be deceived. You know, don't. And he calls them beloved brethren. So things are going on that the very beloved brethren he's writing to, not necessarily the guys he's going to be uh, questioning their faith, but the ones that he's writing to, beloved brethren, don't let yourself be deceived by these things. So um, we go to Ephesians 2. I'm sorry, we go back to James 17 and 18. That's where we're getting our, our text for this morning. Our, our uh, Every good and perfect gift is from above comes down from the Father of lights. I love that song we sang this morning. It was hard not to just lose it. With whom there is no variation of shadow or turning, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits for his creation. We weren't created to just be deceived and run after temptation and sin. Uh, we haven't been brought forth from the world just to continue on all those things. You know, he cleansed us, he washed us. The word variation, speaking of the Lord and his character and his nation, nature, variation means to change or to be fickle, fickleness. You know, the shadow means to obscure and kind of hide things. And turning means, the actual word is the same word for the constellations, how they're kind of turning and reading differently on any given time of the night. And so these things are not our Lord. Our Lord is the illumination. He's that burning and you know, light, it says, father of lights. And every good gift, every perfect gift comes from him. He's not going to tempt us to do evil. And so that's what James is saying, that logic there, that simple, the flow of thought coming through trials, guys that are asking because they don't want to go through trials and they're asking to miss. And, you know, the, the poor guy is in that situation and he's got his hope. He's received that hope and he's hanging on to it even though he's in poor circumstances and possibly suffering. Probably can't afford a doctor, so maybe the pain can be a little worse. And uh, oftentimes we find people in ourselves in those kinds of trials. Um, Ephesians 2, verse 10, what are these good works? For we are his workmanship, again, created. Where are those new creatures brought forth by his word? Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, we don't have to do all the, the preparing and all the laboring and all that. What we need to simply do is walk in what he gave us to do. What's in front of your face when you go out and you see a need, when you see a brother? You don't have to say, oh, there's you know, so many starving people in the whole wide world, I can't bear it, and so you shut it down altogether. Well, just let's see what the Lord brings right before your face. Maybe it's just that one person. Maybe it's next week or next month or next year. You know, but... If you pray, you're seeking the Lord, he'll bring for you those works, what to do. Because where's workmanship? He gave us things to do before the foundation of the world. All we got to do is walk in it. Um, Galatians 5.22, a couple pages over, to the left, I should say. And uh, 5.22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, walks he prepared for us to walk in, gentleness, self-control, that's a good place to start. Self-control, from there a lot of things grow. First Peter chapter 1. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's, having crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. James is going to talk about in chapter 3, there's wars, there's fights. And he's, he's, the 12, 12 tribes scattered around probably being read in the synagogues, probably meeting with all kinds of resistance. But it comes right out to it that people don't like to hear the wisdom from God and they just start fighting with each other because they don't have what they want. We'll get into that verse, or chapter 3. Um, but back to uh, James 1. This kind of leads us back into James 1, 19 through 20. So then, my beloved brother, and let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. I mean, here we got guys that are asking... Um, uh, you know, saying the Lord's, you know, they're, they're telling other people in the church, well, the Lord made me do that, you know. So be slow to speak about anything and swift to hear. Um, interesting, uh, and also slow to wrath, not flying off the handle. Interesting how when you find out you've been deceiving yourself many times, you want to start making excuses. And all of a sudden the talk is, you know, yeah, no, 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 I wasn't me. Or, or there's all sorts of things when you start realizing that you've been getting deceived into these things. It's funny how, what's the Proverbs say? You know, where speech abounds, sin is not far. Where words abound, sin is not far. But what does this produce? Some kind of self-justification or self-righteousness. Sometimes the embarrassment even causes people to be angry. And right there you see James saying, be slow to wrath. You might have been deceived, but let's get it right. Now just start listening. And he gets into that now as we keep on going. You know, lay aside in verse 21. Uh, all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness. We receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Meekness. As, we're, as we get into the word, you know, be humble and meek and, and quiet about it and just take it in. Let it do what it's going to do in your hearts and minds and all. And he says, you know, just lay it aside, but also receive the word. The problem really is our hearts, you know, and maybe some stronghold of bitter jealousy or, or envy. And the only way to tear those down is to take the word in, you know, seek the Lord, pray, receive his word. But only if it's going to be received, only if it's going to be believed. And that faith that comes from that's not going to be idle. In fact, you know, as we said before, it is an action. It's who we are acting out our faith. And it's just really who we are, plain and simple, is faith. Again, deceiving themselves in verse 22 through 24, you know, but he, be doers of the word, again, just leads right into it. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And that's just, you know, verse 15, lust brings forth sin. In verse 18, we're brought forth by the word of truth to be a firstfruits, to be washed. You know, not just to do any old good deed or just get into religion or keep the, the rituals of religion. Well, how do I know this? Well, verse 25. You know, he who looks intently into the perfect law of liberty. You know, we're not doing the Mosaic law. We're, we're, we're doing the things that are, we're free to do now. 
we've been freed by the grace that we have in our Lord. You know, how blessed it is, he says in verse 25, you know, because we're, we're able to do these things freely and not as an obligation, like we're doing religion or keeping some type of uh, law. And so again, that free, uh, perfect law of liberty. Um, and we continue in it. We're not forgetting what we heard in the Word. We're living it out. We're able to live it out because we saw it plain and simple in the Word, the New Testament. First Peter 1, and we're almost done, 22 through sec, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, is a big summary, I think, for what we've been reading today. Um, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man is the flower of grass, The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And now this is the word by the gospel which was preached to you. Well, therefore, lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Seven verses right there that pretty much sums up everything we talked about this morning. You know, you were saved not by keeping the law or living a perfect life, but by God's grace. So now we're free. And we'll look a lot more. The law of liberty comes up in in, uh, chapter 3, no, 4. We'll see it. So to finish up, James is talking to these guys and their recipients, their beloved brethren, but also among them. Uh, They're saying they don't like God's wisdom. They're saying God's tempted them. They're quick to fly off the handle. They just can't slow down. James gets right to it again and says that they're deceiving even their own hearts in verse 26 and 27. You know, it's, uh, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and doesn't even bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Now keep in mind, there's grace here too because I know that there are times when I say things and do things. I'm guilty of everything that's being talked about here. Uh, the, uh, different aspects of these things. I, I, I know that what he's getting at here is the religion that some people are trying to, to live under. And so he's saying, you know, your religion's useless if you can't even bridle your tongue. In other words, give up. If you're trying to keep the laws, if you're trying to keep and maintain some self-righteousness or self-justification, you know, and if you're going to be religious, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep ones unspotted from the world. Well, going back to the first couple of verses in this chapter, there are those that are in trials. And there are those that are not necessarily in trials and going, I don't know if I want to go through a trial. Well, instead of that, they should be going and visiting the orphans in their trials. It says in the midst of their trouble. And then to keep themselves unspotted from the world, you know, they question God's wisdom. They're in the middle of their own pursuits for wealth. They say God is tempting them because they're deceived about their own sinful nature. They're quick-tongued, quick-tempered, and have laid aside, haven't laid aside 
their filthiness and wickedness. He's writing to these guys. He has to tell them these things. They hear the word, but they forget it. They forget why God brought them forth. They forget to be doers of the work. For them, it's all talk. You know, they can't restrain their tongue. You know, who are these you know, out of the synagogues and have come to follow this new thing? And uh, maybe they're not even born again. Maybe they're just running with some of the other Jewish believers that Paul had, had maybe uh, ministered to. But James is writing to these guys saying, okay, there's in your multitude these. It's sim- similar for us many times. We've come out of our denomination. Maybe, maybe we weren't born again while we were sitting there growing up trusting in some religion. And uh, then we do get born again. Well, maybe some don't. Maybe you bring along with your family members that never were born again. And they just decide to hang out where it's easy to hang out and listen to what they can listen to. And sometimes that's the same. And it can happen to us today. You know, the talk is not much help for a widow or an orphan, especially in their time of trouble. And keeping ourselves unspotted from the world you know, if you're pursuing the things of the world, the pursuing the wealth that's there, like he says, these guys, they end up right in the middle of it. They fade away. You know, the world is, a, is the way they operate is not fair. The way they operate is not just. They don't operate with the, the, the conscience. And maybe people used to be that way in this country because we were founded on a Judeo-Christian principle, but not anymore. Now we see the... those that are so wealthy that they feel they're kings of this world and they can do whatever they want and censor whoever they want and decide who who gets to have a say and who doesn't, who gets to live and who doesn't, how many kids you get to have and how many they're going to say you don't deserve. Whether or not you're a a boomer and you're contributing to society anymore and you're going to be someone that, well, we can't afford to have you anywhere, you know, you got to go. This is coming. You know, these are the things that they're, they're... whether or not they're doing it or they're going to be allowed to do it, they're sure talking about it. Um, so most important for us now is to know that our faith is precious to God and he will give us wisdom when these trials come. Wisdom that will help us with our patience and endurance until he comes. And a joy for the hope that we have. And just one last couple of verses in First Peter um, chapter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, praise the Lord, reserved in heaven for you. And we're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in that last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if indeed you have been grieved by various trials. And that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, who having seen, not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believe, you, believing you rejoice with a joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Amen. Eh? Why don't we stand up and pray? And Lord, thank you so much for the hope we have in you. Thank you so much that you're the one that keeps us and preserves us. You sealed us with your Holy Spirit. 
And we ask that you would do these things through us and in us, and both to give us the will and to do your perfect will and whatever works you prepared for us before the foundation of the world, Lord, to walk in. I pray you just give us that freedom to walk in that, to understand it's a, it's a, a free gift and it's a, a law of liberty and freedom to walk in these things. And again, Lord, we lift up uh, those that can't be here and, Lord, Lord those that are um, not feeling well and who are going through trials and some of them are, are severe and painful. Lord, we lift them up to you, please. I pray be with them in, their, in your grace and uh, give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen.